0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most
1: convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Must well, see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy... This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. i tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022, the 622nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and you'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands, and there is some good stuff coming up. And if you can't do that or you simply don't want to, keep enjoying the show for free on a variety of other platforms a couple days late. And I would just ask that you would Share that with your friends. So let's get started where we left off yesterday, and that is with the Brazilian election and its similarities on a number of levels to the stolen election that we experienced here in America on November 3rd, 2020. But you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to make any of those comparisons, even though the situations are virtually the same. If you make those comparisons, you're a conspiracy theorist and you're an election denier, at least according to The New York Times. This is a headline from yesterday. Election deniers in U.S. push idea that Brazil's voting was tainted. How could they? The false specter of an election rife with conspiracy and fraud. This one in Brazil is spreading around American right-wing media channels from prominent election denialists still fixated on the fiction that Donald J. Trump was robbed of the presidency two years ago. Some used the voting in Brazil on Sunday to try to whip up concern about the approaching midterm elections in the United States. Dear Brazil, please watch those vote counts at 3 a.m. Mark Fincham, the Republican candidate for Arizona Secretary of State, wrote on his Telegram channel on Sunday, election day in Brazil. They are a doozy, he said. Mr. Fincham also warned of suitcases coming out from under tables and pizza boxes in front of windows to block poll watchers. These motifs were based on debunked but prominent conspiracy theories pushed by allies of Mr. Trump who tried to overturn the results of the election in 2020. You got it? Those examples of blatant violations of election law are debunked conspiracy theories, even though they're caught on video. The suitcases being pulled out from under the table at State Farm Arena in Fulton County after counting had been stopped due to a completely made up water main break that turned out to be a slightly leaky urinal, which forced officials to send everyone home were debunked and by debunked, they mean they found Republican election officials, you know, people with little Rs next to their name, which makes it true unless they're saying the thing that the media doesn't like. And then the little R next to their name makes it false. But in this situation, the Republicans saying that there was no problem with those suitcases of ballots being taken out from under the table and then run through the counter over and over and over again that's just a conspiracy. A person with an R next to their name said it. That means it's been debunked. Pizza boxes on windows so that people couldn't observe the count. Well, that absolutely happened in Detroit. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. But the New York Times says that's been debunked as well because they got people there to say that nothing went wrong inside The pizza boxes were actually necessary so that everyone could go about their work. And since there is absolutely no evidence of fraud anywhere, then the whole thing was just fake. It's been debunked. It was a conspiracy theory. The pizza boxes weren't put up to obscure the viewing of the count by citizens who had concerns with election integrity. It was because the Trump supporters are so unruly and uncivilized that they were threatening the integrity of our elections. They were threatening our very democracy. And so they had to use pizza boxes to keep the poll workers safe. And now that they've provided that context, which is just a rationalization and a justification for some activity that is obviously illegal. You need to understand that their rationalizations and justifications mean that nothing went wrong, and to suggest otherwise means you're an election denier. President Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil, whose candidacy Mr. Trump and his supporters favored, outperformed expectations, forcing an October 30th runoff election against his opponent, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. And you are meant, as a reader of the New York Times to take that framing to mean that there's no way election fraud could have happened because Bolsonaro did much better than expected. But then the question becomes, what was expected? Well, if you only listen to the media and you only follow the polls, then you would have expected Lula to secure over 50% of the vote and for Bolsonaro to lose. That would have been it. Game over. So if you're expecting that and then, Lula doesn't secure over 50% and he doesn't win in the first round, then the fact that he didn't means there couldn't possibly have been fraud. If there was fraud, they would have had more fraud enough for him to win. But as it stands, it's going to a runoff, which means there couldn't have been fraud. Now, if you were expecting Bolsonaro to win in the first round, unless there was fraud, then this would have met your expectations exactly. This is what we see in our elections now. This is a common trait of elections around the world. We can watch it happen in real time, and we can watch it happen over and over and over again in pretty much the same way. But according to the New York Times, what really matters is to manage people's expectations so that you can give them a plausible outcome. They're basically just coming out and saying it at this point. Some of the Trump allies sowing doubt in elections helped export their strategy to Brazil after the 2020 election. Donald Trump Jr. warned about Chinese meddling in a speech in Brazil last year, while Mr. Bolsonaro's son appeared at an event in South Dakota last year hosted by the pillow entrepreneur Mike Lindell, a prominent promoter of election conspiracy theories. Except for the fact that Lindell is right and Lindell has what he says he has. So it's not actually a conspiracy theory. It is irrefutable evidence of election manipulation. As our colleagues in Brazil have written, Mr. Bolsonaro has been attacking the election system for months and suggesting that if he did not win, it would be due to fraud. There is no evidence of past widespread fraud, and Brazil election officials maintained that these allegations are false. And there couldn't have been any widespread fraud in past elections. Brazil's elections, just like ours, are 100% safe and secure. Only a conspiracy theorist would believe that the man who packs tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people onto the streets nearly every time he speaks would beat the guy who barely campaigned. Only a conspiracy theorist would believe that. Everybody knows that the people of the world really want global communism, and they will come out and vote for these candidates, even though they won't come out to support them at all, anywhere, at any point. Except the thing you're missing is that they are so smart. They are so expert at running campaigns that they don't need to campaign at all. In fact, they find it insulting that anyone thinks they should be campaigning. With how obviously correct they are about every issue, how much better they would be governing the country, how moral they are in comparison to their opponents, they should win the prize just for showing up. Despite attempts by American election deniers to draw parallels between the two countries, Brazil's voting system is markedly different from that in the U.S., Rather than using different procedures and equipment in each state, Brazilian voters use the same machines nationwide, and there is no voting by mail. As a result, results can be delivered in a matter of hours. Brilliant writing there from the New York Times. That makes no sense, though. There is no comparison to be drawn between the two elections because they have a different voting system. They use machines by Smartmatic. We use machines that have their roots in Smartmatic. Yes, there are different brands of machines in different states, so they absolutely cannot possibly be used to accomplish the same goals. And they don't have mail in balloting, but they do have absentee voting, and that counted for 21% of their election. And you see, it's really important that they use the same voting system all across Brazil not like America where we have different ones. And that means cheating is not possible in either system. In fact, the only thing in common between Brazil's election on Sunday and America's election on November 3rd, 2020 is that they were both the safest and most secure elections of all time. That's the only comparison worth making. There was no fraud, no fraud anywhere on Monday. Even after the better-than-expected results, some allies of Mr. Trump were in the strange position of continuing to push the idea of election fraud, even while celebrating the outcome. Stephen K. Bannon said on his show on Monday morning that the Brazilian election was an quote, absolutely central and very stark warning to MAGA and to all the Republicans of the games being played in these elections. He referred American viewers to a list of vigilante activities they could participate in for the upcoming election in their own country. Gateway Pundit, a right-wing website, described the election in a headline as experiencing massive fraud while hailing its outcome. And it's nice that they mentioned Gateway Pundit there because that's what Bannon was referring to. That's the list of vigilante actions, as the New York Times calls them. They had an article up yesterday with seven steps that could be taken to prevent election fraud. And it's things like people going to the polls and paying attention to what's happening. You know, vigilante stuff. And as you might imagine, that article is being suppressed by search engines, you know, because it's all disinformation. Now, I'm pretty happy that the New York Times published this article. Don't get me wrong. I want their readers to know that these comparisons are being made so that maybe their readers might think, oh, there's. Something similar about these elections. There's some reason to pay attention to both of them. Why are all these election deniers who we've been told are only doing this because they're in some Trump cult, paying attention to the Brazil election? And why are they claiming that fraud happened in pretty much the same way it happened here? And that's a good question for them to be asking. Now, this New York Times article is absolutely ridiculous because there is a long laundry list of similarities between these two elections. And of course, it starts with what I just mentioned a few minutes ago, the physical aspect, what we can actually see about how their campaigns are going. One candidate draws massive crowds. The other candidate barely campaigns and barely draws crowds. That would tell most normal people that one of those candidates is revered and supported by the people, and the other one simply is not. That candidate has the media doing his bidding. He has the protection of social media companies, and between media and social media, they push out one party narrative and suppress the other party's narrative completely. They don't want the people to know that Bolsonaro has any support. Same thing they did with Donald Trump. We saw the same trends in the polling. Remember, a day before the election in 2020, an ABC News and I think Washington Post poll came out of Wisconsin saying that Donald Trump was favored to lose by 17 points. And of course, Donald Trump won Wisconsin. He was not given the win in Wisconsin. But we know and the courts have agreed that hundreds of thousands of votes in that election should not have been counted. The election never should have been certified. But even with the quote unquote official results, that poll was still off by 16 points. And likewise, the polls showed Lula winning by 10 points, some places 15 points. And that didn't come anywhere close to being true. It's funny because Glenn Greenwald was on Tucker Carlson last night and mentioned all this. But Glenn Greenwald, being the devout leftist he is, and the elitist he is, said that he still believes Lula is favored to win in the runoff because he finished ahead of Bolsonaro. Glenn Greenwald is apparently not bright enough to look at the graph of how that vote came in over time. If he had looked at that, he would have noticed a massive and impossible Lula spike right at the end that gave him his lead. So we have the real life polling. And by that, I mean what you can observe with your eyes, massive crowds compared to zero crowds, a huge energetic campaign compared to zero campaign. We have the same manipulative fake news polling showing a massive lead for the communist that just disappears on election day. And we have a recorded vote that indicates that the results are a product of a statistical impossibility, but none of that would ever suggest election fraud, the same as in America. I mean, they have two completely different systems that are, you know, fine, not that different, but at least they're the same everywhere in Brazil. And that's a huge difference, which means the only thing in common is that they were both the safest and most secure elections of all time. And I imagine we are going to all have a great time seeing over the next few weeks, all of the evidence of election fraud pouring out of Brazil. The media won't cover it at all, but it'll be obvious to everyone who isn't obsessed with the media and isn't dependent on Twitter for every bit of thought and information that ever filters through their tiny little child brains. And they mentioned another direct similarity in the article. It's that Bolsonaro was saying in the lead up to the election, if I don't win, it will be the result of fraud. Trump said the same thing. He said it in 2016. He said it in 2020. They attacked him for it both times, but he was correct both times. And what the New York Times is doing is playing with the way their audience thinks. They know how their audience thinks about these things. If something doesn't affect them negatively, then the situation is OK. It doesn't matter what the underlying truth is. It doesn't matter if the election was stolen or not. It doesn't matter if there was fraud in their election or not. It only matters if and when their candidate is negatively affected. So they don't see why anyone from the winning side or the side that performed better than expected could possibly complain. This is why they freaked out in 2016, where Donald Trump claimed, even after winning, that there was rampant election fraud in the 2016 presidential election. And he was correct. So let's go to the New York Times article they linked. This is from the Brazilian reporters, which means these people are even more expert than any reporters possibly could be in America. This is from September 29th. On eve of election, Bolsonaro's party attacks Brazil's voting systems. For months, officials in Brazil and across the international community have watched President Jair Bolsonaro cast doubt on Brazil's voting systems, growing increasingly worried that the far right leader was setting the stage to dispute an election loss. Late Wednesday, the president gave them more reason to worry in a surprise move less than four days before the vote. Mr. Bolsonaro's political party released a document that claimed without evidence that a group of government employees and contractors had the, quote, absolute power to manipulate election results without leaving a trace. And it's funny that they continue to rely on that phrase without evidence as if the president of a country doesn't have access to this type of information and couldn't know how messed up the election systems are. Donald Trump knew Bolsonaro knows it's not even particularly complicated. You just have to actually look. It was among the most significant attacks yet against Brazil's election system. The party said that it reached its conclusion based on an audit of the election system it commissioned in July and that it was releasing the information now because election officials had not sufficiently responded. Brazil's electoral authority immediately responded on Wednesday. The documents conclusions are, quote, false and dishonest with no backing in reality and are, quote, a clear attempt to hinder and disrupt the natural course of the electoral process. The agency said in a statement, the Supreme Court said it was now investigating the president's party for releasing the document. So no refutation whatsoever for the claim. Just it's wrong and you're bad for ever bringing it up. And we're going to try to press criminal charges if we can. The document delivered a jolt to the presidential race that already had the nation on edge. The attempt to discredit the voting systems just days before the election heightened fears that in the face of worsening poll numbers, Mr. Bolsonaro was preparing to challenge the results of Sunday's vote. And you have to love the panic as if the challenge to the vote would be completely unjustified when he has the information that the election systems are easily manipulated. And of course he does. Because this sort of election manipulation happens around the world, everywhere that the election fraud apparatus is set up. They released the report right now because they're afraid they're going to lose, said Mauricio Santoro, a political scientist at the State University of Rio de Janeiro. They're trying to create some kind of excuse for Bolsonaro supporters on why. And if there's one person you know you can trust It's a professor at a state university because they are never devout communists who think that they are smarter than everyone and better at making moral judgments than everyone else. And as intellectuals, they only have the purest of intentions. Mr. Bolsonaro has trailed former leftist president Luis Inacio Lula da Silva in polls since last year. If no candidate receives 50% of the vote on Sunday, the top two finishers will compete in a runoff on October 30th. Mr. De Silva's support has ticked up in recent weeks, and it looks increasingly likely he could win outright on Sunday. Mr. Bolsonaro has claimed without evidence that the polls are systematically wrong. And it is pretty amazing at this point that to claim the polls are systematically wrong should require evidence. The evidence is They're always wrong. It's like a baseball team winning 40 games out of 162 and then someone asking for evidence that they're actually really bad. The evidence is that they lose all the time. And it's worth noticing that it's even more hilarious that they try to support this polling knowing that the polling is wrong with an election fraud system in place. The polling is wrong even by way of their fraudulent results. Imagine how much worse it would be if the elections were free and fair. The evidence that the polls are manipulated is that the polls are always wrong, even with the fraud. But in the false reality, these two things actually reinforce one another. The polls systematically favor the communists to win by a lot, but when the communist only wins... By a little bit, it turns out that the polls were actually right directionally, but just overestimated things a little bit, which is a funny thing, even as Lula is ticking up over the past few weeks. So the communist is ticking up over the past few weeks. But then on election day, the results are far, far worse. But there's no evidence whatsoever that the polls are systematically manipulated. Mr. Bolsonaro has also claimed that Brazil's electronic voting systems are vulnerable and that Mr. De Silva's supporters are planning to rig them to steal the election. In July, he called foreign diplomats to the presidential palace to lay out his evidence, which turned out to be years old news about a hack that did not threaten the voting machines. He has also enlisted Brazil's military in his fight with election officials, raising fears that the armed forces could support any effort to hold on to power. And that is an incredibly dangerous narrative that they are pushing with that paragraph, and they're going to keep pushing that because the word from Brazil is that the military will be investigating the elections. What the communists want is chaos. I hope these reporters are right about what Bolsonaro showed these foreign diplomats, because if they're underselling it and Bolsonaro has actually showed overwhelming evidence of election fraud with these systems to foreign diplomats, well, then then commies, the problem might spread. It's funny that this article doesn't mention smart manic anywhere. Observers across the world have been alarmed that Mr. Bolsonaro appears to be following in the footsteps of former president Donald J. Trump. On Wednesday, the U.S. Senate unanimously passed a resolution that urged the White House to condemn Mr. Bolsonaro's efforts to undermine the elections and reconsider its relationship with any Brazilian government that is not democratically elected. Leaders in Brazil's Congress, courts and armed forces have said that they would not abide by any efforts to reject voters will. But many say privately that they are concerned that Mr. Bolsonaro's supporters will react violently to a loss. In July, three out of every four supporters of Mr. Bolsonaro told Brazil's most prominent polling company that they trusted the voting machines only a little or not at all. And that's a good number. I'm not even sure if Trump supporters realize how bad the election machines are. On Wednesday night, news of the document quickly spread among Mr. Bolsonaro's supporters on social media with people sharing right-wing articles about the allegations and conspiracy theories that said it proved what Mr. Bolsonaro had been alleging. One YouTube video about it quickly attracted more than 100,000 views in just a few hours. A conservative congresswoman, Carla Zambelli, was one of the first to post the document on social media, sharing it with her 1.9 million followers on Twitter. However, many other politicians, including Mr. Bolsonaro, did not mention it online. In its statement on Wednesday night, the electoral authority reminded elected officials and candidates that they could be impeached or prohibited from running if they shared false allegations about the voting system. That swift reaction likely prevented wider dissemination of the documents among politicians. In brighter times in this country, the idea that politicians could be impeached or prohibited from running Because they challenge an election system that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt is built to be manipulated and choose the winners, robbing the people of their voice would be indicative of a banana republic and no one would trust that government. No one would trust that election system. But now American observers who voted for Joe Biden think that this sort of thing is necessary. They have actually been convinced that challenging fraudulent elections is a bigger threat to democracy than fraudulent elections. Election officials could also revoke the registration of Mr. Bolsonaro's conservative political party called the Liberal Party if it was found guilty of spreading misinformation about the voting systems, though that would only happen after the election. The document said that the July audit found 24 flaws in the election system's security. A rough summary of the audit, it specified just a few of those alleged flaws, including that election officials used poor cybersecurity policies, that they did not properly vet relationships with suppliers, and that they did not fully protect the employees who control the machine's computer code from irresistible coercion. Those are all pretty important. Election officials' delay in fixing those alleged security gaps could result in internal or external breaches of the electoral systems, with a serious impact on the October election results, the document said. Cybersecurity experts also dismissed the claims. Some points are old complaints, said Diego Arana, a Brazilian computer scientist who has studied the election system. Others are completely fabricated. Marcos Simplicio, A researcher at the University of Sao Paulo who tests Brazil's voting machines said the document made gross exaggerations about the risks to the system. He said that like most computer systems, there is a group of engineers that controls the code that underpin the voting machines. But there are multiple security checks to prevent that code from being surreptitiously altered. There are also tests to ensure that the machines are counting votes properly on election day. Even if there was a conspiracy to change the code before the election, Mr. Simplicio said, it would require a sophisticated, coordinated effort by a group of engineers to pull off. It's really hard to keep a secret this big between two people, he said. Imagine 20. Ah, we dismiss the entire thing because it's too hard to imagine a bunch of people keeping a secret except it's not really a secret and they don't really keep it. It pretty much happens out in the open and then systems of power rush to the defense of the corrupt and the criminal. And then they gaslight the public until everyone just ignores it. And then when people don't ignore it, they figure out new ways to punish the public so that people can get in trouble for even saying it. So it's not really that a secret is being kept. It's just something everybody kind of knows, but no one's allowed to talk about. And some people benefit from it. So they're more than happy to perpetuate it. And there's another pretty creepy similarity between the Brazilian election and the November 3rd, 2020 stolen election in America. And that's that leading up to it. The mainstream media pushed the narrative that if the non-communist candidate lost, He might not leave office. We heard that again and again about Donald Trump in the lead up to 2020. And someone put this together. I'm not sure who, but headline in foreign affairs. What if Bolsonaro won't go in the economist win or lose? Bolsonaro poses a threat to Brazilian democracy. And the Washington Post and Bloomberg both ran the same article. Will Bolsonaro leave if he loses the presidency? And I want to get just the beginning of that one. For anyone wondering whether Bolsonaro plans to retreat gracefully into the background if he loses Brazil's presidential election, his latest overseas jaunt offers one answer. Even before Queen Elizabeth's funeral, he found an opportunity to rouse flag-clad supporters from the London embassy balcony with dog whistle references to abortion and gender ideology, hints at his opponent's supposed communist allegiances, and then a guarantee that he would inevitably win outright in the first round. Facts? Who needs them? In reality, with less than a week to go before Brazilians head to the polls on Sunday, the numbers do not favor the incumbent. An IPEC survey published on Monday suggested opposition leader Luis Inacio Lula da Silva could take 52% of valid votes in the first round, enough to win without a runoff, a feat only one past candidate has managed twice, while Bolsonaro would take 34%. 18% difference is what they were suggesting. The gap between them isn't narrowing. IPEC interviewed 3,008 people on September 25th and 26th for a survey with a margin of error of plus or minus two percentage points and a confidence level of 95%. Polls can be imperfect and they underestimate the difference turnout will make. But with time running out and the former congressman for Rio de Janeiro struggling even on his home turf, the chances of an election day surprise look ever more distant. And for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down just a little bit. Yet the question staring at Brazil today is not really about who wins the election. The real head scratcher is what Bolsonaro, a man of openly authoritarian tendencies, will do if and when he loses, as the polls strongly suggest. The president said on primetime television last month that he would accept the results of the election, quote, as long as the vote is clean and transparent. However, he's also prepared the way for a tantrum of national proportions. Taking a lead out of U.S. President Donald Trump's book, he has repeatedly sought to discredit Brazil's well-established electoral process and picked fights with the Supreme Court. He's wrapped himself in the flag, smeared his opponent, and portrayed the race as good against evil. Well, he's right on all of those counts. And it's worth noting that nothing about their electoral system being well established means that it actually works and produces a fair outcome, reflecting the will of the people. A former army captain, Bolsonaro has sought to enlist the armed forces and the police to his cause. Modern coups don't require tanks, but they do require the military. He's defended Brazil's military dictatorship and has steadily expanded the armed forces presence in the political sphere. His government demanded a role for them, even in overseeing the voting process, a risky, indeed unthinkable move for a credible democracy. His persistent support for weapon ownership has left Brazil awash in guns. The far right populist has also supercharged disinformation, using his speeches and direct addresses to stoke baseless rumors, then amplified by friendly social media. Again, the elections In the U.S. and Brazil have absolutely nothing in common. And if you compare them at all, you are a conspiracy theorist. Of course, even if Bolsonaro wants to hang on to power, whatever happens, that doesn't mean he can. For one, Lula looks set to win by a healthy margin if the vote goes to the second round which will make it far harder for Bolsonaro to cry foul and will make backing him a far less attractive option for supporters high in the country's political, military and economic elite. Well, a week later, we can see how ridiculous that narrative right there is. The president has also proven a good talker, but a mediocre operative, even on the back benches, making it conceivable That if he finds sympathy in some corners of the armed forces or the military police, he will still struggle to bring the rest on side. Levels of empathy with Bolsonaro are not uniform. That's no protection from troublesome incidents. But it does make an all out insurrection far more challenging. Crucially, with Trump out of power, he also has no significant international backing for adventurism, as his unimpressive dance card on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly demonstrated. Serbia and Poland will hardly carry him through. Now, this is insanity. Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa. That's the BRICS alliance. That represents over half of the world's population. But sure, no one is aligned with Bolsonaro. None of that means a sigh of relief is in order. Even in the best case, the two months between the runoff and the inauguration provide plenty of time for Bolsonaro to wreak havoc, say, in the Amazon. What? More troubling still are the divisions he has sowed, which will remain. Without Bolsonaro, some of the worst traits of Bolsonarismo may well linger, even without a party to nurture it. He's alienated minorities and deepened the involvement of religion and the armed forces in politics. He's promoted violence, heightened distrust in the judiciary and in the very act of voting. Whatever happens in October, the world's fourth largest democracy has been left dangerously weak. They could... Legitimately just switch up the names and the locations and their go-to experts, and there would be no noticeable difference between this article and the articles the mainstream media was pumping out in the lead up to the stolen election in November of 2020. It's funny that the people who vote for communists don't think of corruption as a problem. They simply choose to believe it doesn't matter. And that's reinforced by the media and social media. Of course, they get a one sided narrative all the time. They are given a complex and convoluted explanation of why the corruption either wasn't real or it's something everybody does. And either way, it's not significant. And either way, even if it was significant, just look how threatening this other guy is. This other guy doesn't want communism at all. So if you care about the communist agenda you need to come out and vote for this guy, no matter how corrupt he is. And look what we have gotten. Hillary Clinton, one of the most corrupt politicians in American history. Joe Biden, who may well be the most corrupt politician in American history. And Barack Obama, who had a much shorter history before he ran for president. But even that history included corruption in Ukraine, via biolabs. How is it that the communist agenda and the candidates looking to enhance the global communist order are always corrupt? Do they have some sort of advantage? And the answer is yes, they do have an advantage. They're easily compromisable. They will do whatever they're told because their alternative is to get exposed for their corruption and then their whole life that they have built up just comes crashing down. And upon seeing that, you would think that even their own supporters would just give up on them. That is what the left has actually called for Trump supporters to do based on Trump's corruption, but they can never prove Trump's corruption. The corruption of a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden is really, really easy, but they don't care. They ignore it. They're told it doesn't matter because the threat is so great. But the truth is that their voters don't care about principles at all. They only care about getting their way and compromised and corrupt politicians are necessary at the highest levels of government when that government is always populated by people who win through election fraud, because one of the qualifications is that each and every one of them is willing to violate the will of the people and the people's trust and to violate the law. That's part of the job description. That's part of what gets you selected into those positions by the global communists. Now, changing subjects without a segue, Elon Musk has put himself squarely back in the news. Yesterday, he posted a poll on Twitter that sent people into a frenzy. He wrote Ukraine, Russia, peace, redo elections of annexed regions under U.N. supervision. Russia leaves if that is the will of the people. Crimea, formerly part of Russia, as it has been since 1783 until Khrushchev's mistake. Water supply to Crimea assured Ukraine remains neutral. Yes or no. Those were his terms that he was suggesting for a Russian-Ukrainian peace deal. And he followed, this is highly likely to be the outcome in the end, just a question of how many die before then. Now, the funny thing is that people got mad about this. People who are supporting Ukraine, they view this, or at least they're saying they view this as an unfair outcome. But this would actually be an outcome that benefits Ukraine in every way imaginable. It would end The conflict there that Ukraine has absolutely no chance of winning while that conflict is continuing to kill Ukrainians and plenty of other. He also added on also worth noting that a possible albeit unlikely outcome from this conflict is nuclear war. But this wasn't good enough for Twitter. Forty point nine percent have voted yes. Fifty nine point one percent have voted no. And this is about 2.75 million votes. So it's not a small sample, even though it's on Twitter. And we know that people in that cesspool are not very bright or well-informed about this situation at all. And we also know that they have millions and millions and millions of bots. So it's hard to know who exactly voted for this. But let's look first at the terms. Redoing the elections in the annexed regions. Well, they don't need to do that because the people already did come out and vote. U.N. supervision does not provide an advantage. The U.N. are not objective observers of anything. They have a goal and their goal is to keep Ukraine as it was before this conflict. There's no reason for Russia to trust the U.N. in this situation. And there's no reason for the voters in those regions to trust the U.N. They've already voted. The will of the people has already been expressed. But of course, it's okay to deny the will of the people if you are an elitist and a global communist and you don't like the outcome. That does not make you an election denier. Crimea, formerly part of Russia. Well, Crimea is already formally part of Russia. Ukraine is never getting Crimea back. Ukraine's corrupt regime did shut off the water to Crimea, which caused plenty of suffering for innocent Ukrainians. But that was just a leverage play because they deemed that it was okay to punish innocent Ukrainians as long as they were also punishing Vladimir Putin. And the final aspect of Musk's proposed peace settlement, that Ukraine remains neutral, is also already guaranteed. Ukraine is not joining NATO. Only nine out of 30 countries said that they wanted Ukraine to join NATO on an expedited basis. It requires unanimous consent for Ukraine to join NATO. That's 30 out of 30. They're not even a third of the way there. But these weren't Russia's terms and Russia's terms have been very clear from the beginning. They have said from the beginning they will not back down on any of those terms. Crimea is part of Russia. Putin said that Donetsk and Luhansk had to be independent republics. But no one accepted his terms at the time, so now rather than independent republics, they are part of Russia, and two other regions are now part of Russia as well. He said Ukraine could not join NATO or the EU. That's not going to happen. And he wanted Ukraine demilitarized and denazified. And that is well on its way. So from the Russian perspective, This is actually a bad deal for them. But Twitter, Ukraine Twitter, believes this is a bad deal for Ukraine as if they have a better option available. And they're happy to do this even if it means that Ukraine ends up the victim of a nuclear attack. Now, I don't expect that to happen, but I do expect that there is at least some possibility of a false flag nuclear event in Ukraine. And again, The false flag aspect doesn't mean that the event isn't real. Now, it's possible that they will say there's been a nuclear attack and it simply is not one and it could be that sort of false flag. It's also possible that there is a real nuclear event there that is attributed falsely to Russia when it was not Russia. The same thing we see happening with the Nord Stream pipeline right now. And if that happens, there is going to be massive pressure on social media, in the media, worldwide, from the elites, from the global communists, that everyone accept the story as it's been given. They will create all sorts of social incentives for agreeing with the central narrative and all sorts of punishments if you disagree with the central narrative. So be prepared to be called a traitor when you say, we are not getting the honest story about this. In response to Elon's tweet, A Ukrainian diplomat named Andrei Melnik wrote, the only outcome is that now no Ukrainian will ever buy your fucking Tesla crap. So good luck to you, Elon Musk. And then he wrote, fuck off is my very diplomatic reply to you. And now it's just a normal event for an elitist global communist diplomat to go crazy on Twitter when a tech CEO suggests a way that a quote unquote war might end. The comedic actor in Ukraine responded to Elon Musk's poll with one of his own. He wrote, which Elon Musk do you like more, one who supports Ukraine or one who supports Russia? And he had two million four hundred and thirty one thousand responses with Ukraine being favored Seventy eight point eight percent to twenty one point two percent. So in the world of comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky, the public actually really supports this war and really wants Elon Musk to support it even more. The funny thing about the comedic actors Twitter feed right now is that nearly every one of his tweets goes something like this. And this one's from today, by the way, our fake president has committed more U.S. money to this ridiculous war effort. Thank you at POTUS for a substantial support for Ukraine flag emoji, including a new six hundred twenty five million dollar security assistance package. As usual, we had a meaningful phone call today. Our victories within the ongoing defense operation are a joint success of Ukraine, America and the entire free world. You can scroll three tweets down his feed and find another tweet thanking Joe Biden for more Ukrainian support. And you only have to scroll back to September 28th to find another one. So everyone flipped out at Elon Musk and he put up a follow up poll. He said, let's try this then. The will of the people who live in the Donbass and Crimea should decide whether they're part of Russia or Ukraine two point four, three, three million responses to this poll. Fifty nine point three percent said yes. Forty point seven percent said no. So 40 percent of the responses, nearly 41 percent of these people don't think the people of that region have the right to join Russia, even though they're ethnic Russians and even though they've been the victims of an ethnic civil war. For eight years, the will of the people doesn't matter. Ukraine has to remain Ukraine in exactly the way we were told to think of Ukraine. It is really incredible how much people believe that this war should just go on forever and that somehow it's worth it for the people of Ukraine. There should not be so much resistance to peace as opposed to war particularly by the people who think that the most direct route to peace is a one party government in America and a one world government on earth where the will of the people doesn't matter in either instance because the people aren't informed enough, aren't smart enough and aren't good enough to decide for themselves. And Russia responded to Elon Musk's Twitter offer. But it's being covered in a bit of a strange way. The headline in Reuters is Kremlin welcomes Elon Musk proposal for Ukraine settlement denounced by Kiev. And in the article, you can see the quote from Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov. He said it is very positive that somebody like Elon Musk is looking for a peaceful way out of this situation. And you might think, oh, they like that deal. I mean, that's what the headline said. Except that's not what he's saying, because right after, he said, compared to many professional diplomats, Musk is still searching for ways to achieve peace and achieving peace without fulfilling Russia's conditions is absolutely impossible, which should be seen and literally means exactly what I just said before. This is not a good deal for Russia. This is a good deal for Ukraine. Russia would never accept this deal. But it's good at least that Elon Musk has forced this conversation. And I would even go so far as to say it's good that he framed everything this way because people casting their no votes are showing that they really are prepared to support war, even when it's led by Ukrainian Nazis, funded, armed and directed by American intelligence, British intelligence and the global communist order that is all much more important than any piece because they've been told the whole time that they had the moral high ground. They were right about everything and there was no way they were going to lose. And isn't it funny how often that narrative works on these people, people who are obsessed with the mainstream media, people who get all their information from Twitter, people who are fully addicted to the central narrative, They think they are informed about everything, that they're right about everything, that the moral judgments they've been told to make are right, and that there's no way they could ever possibly lose. And people might say, yeah, but Trump supporters are like totally the same way, except no, we're not because we can actually have conversations about all of these things. And we'll attempt to convince you about why we believe we are right and why you should support the same ideas. I'm prepared to engage those conversations for as long as they take, whenever and wherever they arise. That's not even something that Ukraine's own diplomats are willing to do. And why would they? Because the gravy train keeps rolling. Millions of dollars, or sometimes billions of dollars, every single week, keep being sent to the comedic actor in Ukraine. But there is even more Elon Musk news. Elon said today that he was prepared to go forward in purchasing Twitter for the original agreed upon price, and Twitter now intends to close that deal. In a statement, they wrote, we received the letter from the Musk parties, which they have filed with the SEC. Our intention is to close the transaction at $54.20 per share. And that was from Twitter's general counsel, Sean Edgett, in an email to Twitter staff. There is some speculation that all of this could happen pretty quickly and that Elon Musk could take over Twitter by the end of this week or perhaps the beginning of next week. But Elon Musk isn't the only celebrity superstar to be upsetting the communists on a massive scale in the last 24 hours. Kanye West showed up at a fashion show wearing a black shirt that said in white letters, white lives matter. And he was joined by Candace Owens wearing a white T-shirt that in black letters said white lives matter. And Kanye followed up with a post on Instagram and he said, everyone knows that black lives matter was a scam. Now it's over. You're welcome. And the meltdown has gone exactly as you'd suspect. A communist blogger for The New York Times wrote, as to why he did it backstage, Yee declined to provide any theoretical framework. It says it all, he said, of the shirt. But what exactly does it say? (laughs) How could we possibly know what he means when he did not provide a theoretical framework for his T-shirt, whose message is obvious? That he truly believes he can appropriate the language of racial violence with irony. That someday the power structure of black and white will be reversed. And since he says this collection is the future, that's the world he envisions. That ye gets a kick out of pushing everyone's buttons. That he wants to see how far he can go and doesn't really care about or think about the collateral damage in the meantime, including to those children singing at his feet despite the violence this could feed or that, as he said in his speech, you can't manage me. This is an unmanageable situation. And it is pretty funny that these writers are actually going to come to the defense of Black Lives Matter at this point. All of Black Lives Matter's leaders have been exposed. They are all grifters. They took money from from that organization and bought million dollar homes in fancy white neighborhoods. We know how Black Lives Matter was funded. We know what organizations they're involved with. We know about their corporate partners. We know that a woman named Susan Rosenberg was on the executive board of Thousand Currents, the fiscal sponsor of Black Lives Matter. Susan Rosenberg was in a domestic terrorist organization called the May 19th Organization. They bombed the U.S. Capitol. She was in prison for 16 years until Bill Clinton pardoned her on his last day in office. And she's part of the Black Lives Matter organization. We've talked many times on this show about the links, the generational links between the domestic terrorism of the left in the 1960s and 1970s. All of it for the communist cause and prominent Democrats today, including everyone from Chesa Boudin to Barack Obama. Black Lives Matter was a scam. It was a scam based on a lie. It was a scam that intentionally stoked racial division for political benefit. It was a scam that did not help save any black lives. It was a scam that justified and rationalized and covered up extensive domestic terrorism in this country for months on end, and no one was even allowed to challenge it because you can't challenge the phrase Black Lives Matter. Of course, no one's ever doubted that, and most of us can see pretty clearly that Black Lives is an absurd descriptor human lives matter. It doesn't matter what the person's skin color is, and it shouldn't matter what the person's age is. In fact, you could even be so young as to not be born yet, and your life would still matter, just not to the communists. And you can't even say that in response to Black Lives Matter, because then you are denying this important movement for racial justice. And listen to the level of freak out that he truly believes he can appropriate the language of racial violence with irony. That's not the language of racial violence. It is a marketing slogan for communism. It is a marketing slogan for racial division. It is a marketing slogan for political corruption and graft. And it's funny that at this point, two years after the summer of love, this even needs to be said, but apparently it does. And so it's a good thing that someone as prominent as Kanye West has come out and said it because what he has done is given permission for this conversation to be had because the conversation is unavoidable and the communists don't have the power or the moral standing to shoot this conversation down again by simply calling everyone racist who engages with it. Are they really going to try to call Kanye West the country's most prominent white supremacist in the lead up to an election when they are already losing the support of black America? I doubt it. Now, I know the nothing is happening. People will be like, yeah, but we already knew that Black Lives Matter was a scam. Yes, we did. That's not the point. The point is where Black Lives Matter is positioned in the public conversation. It was untouchable. It was one of those conversations people weren't allowed to have. And Kanye West has just blown that up. And he knows it because Kanye West has his finger on the pulse of the state of the cultural milieu as very few people do. Kanye West knows exactly what he's doing. In terms of the public conversation, this is massively important, and it should be pretty easy to see how all of this works together vis-a-vis the Great Awakening. Election fraud in Brazil mirrors election fraud in America. The fact that the conversation is even happening means that people are becoming more in tune with the election fraud narrative. The real narrative about election fraud, because election fraud is real beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is overwhelming evidence of systemic, widespread election fraud in elections all across the world. It is generally the same system run everywhere or variations of that system. It is necessary to know that it is great that Elon Musk has pushed the Ukraine Russia peace conversation further along. It's not good enough that Biden voters and other communists with Ukraine flags in their bios just continue to support a forever war where the outcome is only the death of innocent people and no difference in Russia's power and standing throughout the world. Russia doesn't care about the opinions of the global communist West. Their standing with those people is already gone and destroyed. It has been. For seven and a half months now, probably much longer, but they are in a dominant position and they have the backing of strong allies. And Kanye West has just destroyed one of the most sacred narratives to the American communists with Black Lives Matter. These are all big things happening. They are happening together. They are happening on a similar timeline. And we are going to have a month full of October surprises, not the least of which will be when the Marco Polo report finally drops. And I don't know this, but I really do expect it to be this month. The idea is not to achieve all the results immediately. As soon as you find the problem, you can't just fix problems this size immediately. What you can do is wake the public up to all of these problems. You can do that on a worldwide scale. And when that happens, when that reaches a critical mass, that's when the problems can be fixed. That's what we're working toward. And that's what's happening. And absolutely nothing can stop that. All of this is coming to a head at the right time. And the people are noticing it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network.